Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 10, recorded Thursday, January 11th, 2018. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In our first episode of the year, we will be speaking with Laura Edwards, Executive Director of Advancement at York House School in Vancouver. Melody Song, a Senior Development Officer, Prospect Management and International Development with the Calgary Zoo, and Beth Ann Locke, Director of Advancement in the Faculty of Arts and Social Services at Simon Fraser University. Today's topic is China, the new superpower of philanthropy. China is one of the world's leading economic powers. In recent years, China has seen tremendous internal reforms that have spurred incredible personal prosperity. And with that prosperity, philanthropy. Join us as we discuss this topic and how we, in the West, can best work with the new philanthropists in the East. Coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We have three great guests with us today, each with their own unique perspective and experience with this topic. I can't wait. Let's get started. Joining us from Vancouver, we have Laura Edwards. I first met Laura at the AFP Banff Conference Conference a few years back. I also learned from our pre-show chat that Laura and Melody, our second guest today, have done joint presentations on China in the past. And in fact, I've learned that they traveled to China together. Laura, this is your first visit to our podcast. Thank you and welcome. I know about your work with York House School in Vancouver and that as part of your work, you regularly visit China and you work closely with a number of Chinese philanthropists. We're going to dig into that much more later. For now, though, what we really want to know is how are you enjoying being a grandma? <laughs> oh, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we will. Oh. I wanted to know. What's it like being oh, a grandma? How long have you been a grandma for? I have been a grandmother. Uh, our, our, our darling Eleanor was born on a, October the 9th, 20, um, 2016, so not quite a year and a half. And, uh, you know, you, when you have your own children, if you if that's the path your life takes you, you... You just don't think you can love anything more than your own children. Wait till you have a grandchild and you're looking at the eyes of your own children and, and your son and daughter-in-law, whom you also love so much. There's, it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. So Thank so, you for asking. So, That's a great question. No worries. So Eleanor, and she's a year and a half? Yes. Oh, awesome. And uh, so great. You must have had a wonderful Christmas with all the kids. That's great. No, thank well, you. Uh, thank you for sharing a little slice of your life as a grandma. I just, I, I, I know you might have been surprised by that, but thank you for that. Also joining us this morning from here in minus 27 degree Calgary, we have Melody Song. <laughs> Melody, welcome back. This is your thank you. second visit, your second visit to our podcast. I, I, I hope you had a great holiday break. Um, we know you have many responsibilities at the Calgary Zoo, but we are curious to get an update on one in particular: the pandas, of course. <laughs> How are how is the panda project coming along? So the pandas are coming to Calgary, that's for sure. And Wh- when uh, are they coming? They're, uh, they're coming actually end of March. Uh, they will be arriving oh, yeah. in Calgary, and our exhibit will be opening in May. So they they will need about two months to uh, get used to their environment. 
Um, and uh, right now, we're actually trying to sort out, uh, you know, the preparation for the panda's arrival. Of course, the exhibit itself, it's being finished. Uh, so the panda passage is going to be uh, completed by the end of this month. And I'm actually working with a Chinese airline company on a sponsorship contract for uh, shipping bamboo from China for the pandas. <laughs> Uh, because so, uh, obviously in uh, Canada we can't grow bamboo. There's no bamboo. Um, there's no so bamboo. how many how many how many pandas? We are hosting four pandas, uh, two adults and two uh, cubs. But they're becoming adults as well. When they arrive, they will be two years old. And uh, for the four of them, we'll need about a thousand kilogram of bamboo every week. So Holy that's, cow. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a daunting uh, task, and uh, we resorted to uh, getting the bamboo from China um, because uh, we we were actually involved in a community uh, conservation project in China that helps harvest sustainably harvest bamboo, so it helps the community there, and then transport them here through existing direct flight. Uh, so we found this is probably the best way uh, that would benefit. Community in China, us, and also um, you know help pandas to have food. In awesome, well, I'm in not Canada. the least bit <laughs> not the least bit surprised that the Calgary Zoo is involved in a conservation project. Um, mm-hmm. Melody, we can't we can't wait in Calgary. We're very excited to see these pandas. I'm sure everyone in Western Canada is as well. Thanks for the update and thanks for being here today. As our third panelist, we have another returning guest to the podcast, Beth Ann Locke. Like Laura, Beth Ann lives and works in Vancouver, but for the last few weeks, and maybe a couple more, Beth Ann has been residing in Rio de Janeiro. Um, Beth Ann is joining us today by Skype. I have my fingers crossed that the audio quality will work. I'm sure it will. Beth Ann, welcome back. Um, Thank the you. Question we have, the question we have for you is, naturally, uh, what are you doing in Rio? <laughs> <laughs> well, my... <laughs> You may know that I'm American by birth, and my daughter works for the U.S. consulate here in Rio, and she's on sort of a a two-and-a-half-year contract, and so since she's going to be leaving in July, and uh, this is my fourth time here, but I really wanted to come and spend some time, and so the university is closed for a week over the holidays, and I took two weeks to stay here with her, and I just don't want to go back. (laughs) The flight That's so awesome. Cool. I almost put my money in to uh, say I'd stay here, but anyway, got to get back to work. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for taking the time, and I'm glad it's not the middle of the night, but it is still a little bit later. What, you're five hours ahead? <laughs> I'm five hours ahead of Calgary, yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thanks, Beth Ann, again for coming. Thank you all for joining us on this, <laughs> our, our 10th podcast. We made it. Yay. Yay us. We are excited <laughs> to hear from you all. Um Today's topic is China, the new superpower of philanthropy. China has long been a powerful country, but it is only in the last two generations that China has steadily been emerging as a power outside of its own borders. Today, China is an economic superpower, and if the forecasts are correct, it might soon be the dominant economy on the planet, or maybe it is. Alongside this economic emergence, China has seen tremendous internal reforms, most notable among these the ability for its citizens to own private property. With private ownership has come personal prosperity, and with prosperity, philanthropy. According to an October 2017 article in the South China Morning Post, China is now home to 609 billionaires. The U.S. 
has 552. In the last eight years, Chinese philanthropy has more than tripled to over $6.1 billion. With these facts, we know a little bit about the why. What our listeners want to know is, how is Chinese philanthropy different from, or maybe the same as, traditional Western philanthropy? And what do we, as fundraisers for institutions in the West, need to know when working with Chinese philanthropists? Melody, let's start with you. Did I get the why right? And what do our listeners need to know about Chinese philanthropy? Uh, definitely, you definitely get the why uh, right. Uh, China has a, it's the most populated, uh, one of the most populated country, uh, and also has the most growth in economy. Uh, therefore, the you know the number of billionaires and high net worth individuals are increasing tremendously over even just the last decade, and. Uh, also, I, I feel like there, when we talk about Chinese philanthropy, uh, we can look at the high net worth uh, philanthropists and also the public. The public's very powerful as well. I just want to tell you a story because it's very uh, recent. Um, just it's happened right around Christmas, and it's um, it's been all around media as well. I don't know if you heard about this uh, public. Uh, philanthropic campaign called uh, one dollar, uh, not dollar, one yuan. Yuan is the Chinese currency. One yuan for a, a kid who's born on the same day as your own birthday. So someone started a campaign to help children in the impoverished community. And the idea is that you get one yuan and that one, one yuan will, will help support a child who's born on the same day as you. Um, so the one yuan same birthday campaign, let's say, uh, started, I think, December 23rd or around that time, um, or 22nd. And by December 23rd, it's actually being uh, through the IEO Foundation uh, platform on WeChat. So IEO Foundation is a big um, philanthropic platform that's um, – founded by one of the founders of Tencent, who's the company behind the powerful Chinese social media called WeChat. Um, mm-hmm. So you can actually give one yuan um, and then support a child. So overnight, it raised 1.6 million um, RMB uh, just overnight, uh, one day. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite powerful. However, starting um, December 24th, people start questioning about questioning about the, uh, you know, is, is it true? Because they're, they're finding their children posting on the website whose birthday is on February 29th, for example. Which oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the, so, 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 so there's a lot of philanthropy with the public, not just with high net with individuals. At least there's a, yeah. some fence up there. But there's also skepticism. Yeah, because of the pop- population base and the technology, so it's easier for them to give over WeChat. Like in Ch- in Canada, we have regulations, we have privacy laws. All of this prevented us from giving mobilely very easily. But in China, it's easy to give. So the the donor might not be really care. Like it's one yuan, you know, one yuan is about less than ten cents. Uh, so to them, they might not even think, oh, one yuan, you know, it, it shows that I have love. You know, I, I give love to the empower, impoverished community. However, with with the power of the population in China, overnight you can raise over, like, close to 2 million RMB, 
for, for two million people to participate. So it's quite powerful. But when we talk about, you know, the, the ethical issue that's involved, um, you know, like the, the information about the children online, people found that there are people that children who have the same information. So, you know, it's like people start questioning, is, is this true? Is this right? Where's the money going to go to? And, uh, so I, I was contacted by the Chinese Associated Fundraising Professional, who's, um, who's a separate association from AFP International. Uh, they're, um, they're consist of, uh, you know, a group of Chinese philanthropists, uh, and Chinese fundraisers. Um, they want me to comment on the ethical, um, questions that is raised by this kind of fundraising platform. So uh, this is one of the problems that is faced by China now that people actually have power to give and also they have the technology to give. Um, so the ethical issue comes up. So this is one of the things I think um, is going to be the center of Chinese philanthropy um, this year. Are these, are these people are going yeah, are Sorry? these growing pains? Are these growing pains, or are these uh, systemic problems of the ethical issues? I, I think it's it, I think it's growing pain to start with because I, I feel that uh, the regulations and the charity laws need to be uh, more strict on uh, fundraising platforms. I, I think you know, like uh, foundations like IU Foundation, they have projects, but they don't have boots on the ground to actually do this. They're not a charity. But they're granted charity status and they can receive money. So, mm. you know, something needs to happen on that side. I think it's growing right. pain for sure. And then there's also the ethical. Like the second is the implementation of our the code or ethical code uh, mm-hmm. to fundraising professionals. So, so both both I think it's uh, applicable here. Mm. Yeah, so Laura, Laura, come on in. Yeah, I, I was going to make a comment on growing pains, and um, um, and also yeah, um, add to add the, the point that when you look at uh, immigration to Canada, the vast majority of high net in, individuals are coming from mainland China, by on an average in the thousands each year. Whereas if you look at um, immigration coming from United States, for instance, of the same level of individual, you might get less than ten. So it's it's there's just an wow. enormous it, it's That's huge. huge. Immigration is very important to look at, and when you're when you're deciding where to to uh, focus your efforts um, in a, in an international country. But um, you know, here in Vancouver, there are more Mandarin-speaking home households than English-speaking households now, and so it's mm-hmm. sort of like a train that's that's leaving the station. And, and if you haven't jumped on it. It's a, it's a very good a very good thing to, to get started with. I uh, mean, Mandarin um, since 2006, Mandarin the, the number of Canadians who speak Mandarin um, is now has grown to more than 51 percent. Anyway, but what I was going to mention about so that's just in terms of why to focus on China. But I have a story about growing pains, which would, which would not be so much on the public basis but on the um, the high net worth individual who wants to, to be supportive of an, of an institution. And I go back to some of my very early gifts where um, at the at the conclusion of the gift, which was, you know, typically the, the, the first level was about 250000 the the donor would then say, right, now what level of shareholder am I? <laughs> and right, right. right. So, they, so they, they saw this, the gift as being more than just a, 
uh, freely given yeah. with no strings attached. That's right. And and so let's say if it was health care, then they might think that if they needed a, a heart transplant, they'd be at, at, certainly well towards the top of the list. Where it, ah. it absolutely doesn't work mm-hmm. that way in Canada. So you've you got to remember you're... you're 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 dealing with a completely different mindset, a communist mindset versus a, you know, the, a democratic mindset. But but um, and then when I introduced the board chair to the to to a donor, some he quietly said to me, "Is that your biggest shareholder?" And so you know I had to sort of grind it all to a halt and say, "Look, let's let's just let's take a pause here, and next time you're in Vancouver, we'll go for a drive." And that's when I would drive these folks, you know, by the, the Chan Center and then Gordon Leslie Diamond Center and explain <laughs> Mark, why Mark. their names are on these buildings. It's not because right. they're the biggest shareholder and just what philanthropy means. And, you know, with the, with the, the earthquakes in um, Sichuan province and so forth, yeah. when, when uh, Chinese individuals and corporations became more philanthropic, that was a breakthrough. I, I think you that's agree, right, right Melody? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, the earthquake definitely now. is a breakthrough. Yeah, it was around the time of, of the the 2008 Olympics. But you know, one of the things that Melody and I have really um, emphasized in our presentations is that if you want to understand Chinese philanthropy, you've got to understand Chinese culture. Right. And that uh, we could go into a lot of depth about what that means from the very mm-hmm. simple things like just know how to pronounce somebody's name and use chopsticks and, and be interested. So, that, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think that's a really important point about understanding the culture. I'd like to know, like, when we talk about culture, um, some sometimes we think about uh, just ethnicity. But in China's case, mm-hmm. we've also got a long political culture. That's right. But like you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned communism. So yeah. I mean, I'm curious about that. So if the that's part uh, of the cultural understanding. Go ahead, Melody. So obviously, the uh, you know Chinese do have a history of philanthropy because of Buddhism. However, starting in 1949, uh, we have the communist regime, um, and I I. I I'm probably, you know, a, a child that <laughs> grown up in that regime, and uh, I had a very nice childhood. But I'm also, you know, growing up in Beijing, and everything. Um, it, it's just like with the communist regime, everything you don't have private properties, right? So, um, like everyone, everything is state owned. Your house is state owned. Nobody owns land. No, nobody owns any private property so there's no philosophy to be spoken about um especially on the that that, that 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 changed though didn't it yeah it changed in about uh, like late 80s after the Tiananmen square uh mm-hmm. the government started to fear that you know oh, the government wanted to open up they want to uh, have econ- economic growth however they don't want people to participate more politically so right. they they start to have uh Stimulation, stimulates to, for people to actually participate economically, like get people to own stuff. Like so, even early 90s, uh, people start to own cars. Like I, we don't even have phones until like mid 90s, and then people start that, to have that, own that's cars. That's so funny, given that's so funny given how how ubiquitous phones are in China today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And what they do on a phone is amazing. Yeah, 
And, and they're like give one UN just in the last 20 uh, years, and this this happens with the Chinese population. Uh, so that's I, I think it, it also helps to explain uh, the bigger gift that we're seeing from Chinese philanthropists these days, because I I kind of feel that um, the the people who are rich now they want to make things happen but they cannot do this with the communist regime like they cannot yeah, they can't do it po- they can't do it politically politically they mm-hmm. cannot so what they can do is to make things happen with their money like right like you know move and shake with their what they have so that's why they want social changes they want they even participate in global philanthropy like like um, Jack Ma and you know so it it's a it's an outlet of power so, Melody, uh, for our listeners, for our list, for our listeners' mm-hmm. sake, tell them who Jack Ma is. I know, but t- tell our listeners who Jack Ma is. So Jack Ma is one of the, uh, like, is the founder of Alibaba, which is an online business platform, and he is the one of the richest people in the world, if not the richest person in the world. Yeah, I think and I think he might be the rich. That's the Amazon of China, which is way bigger than the Amazon of the US, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and he um he started out as an English teacher. And uh <laughs> you know, so he yeah, and then he started Alibaba and then become really rich. And right now he's actually donating in many philanthropic causes including education and one of his big things is conservation. Uh, mm-hmm. So he he buys land in the United States and uh, do uh, you know uh, kind of like a reserve for uh, like do salmon introduction for example <laughs> salmon reintroduction initiatives uh, he started as well so there there right. are foundation under him that that's conservation education all sorts of philanthropy uh, well, philanthropic works. Thanks yeah. for sharing who, who Jack Ma was. I, I knew. Mm-hmm. Beth Ann, you've been working in the background and you're, you're like me. You've got a curious mind. What, are, what are some of the things that you, you have questions about that maybe Laura or Melody can help answer? So one of the things I was thinking about with, um, using the philanthropy is sort of how, uh, you know, in the old days in, I'd say in older days in the U.S. and Canada, people gave because they wanted, you know, to support institutions, whatever they were you know, sort of the silent. And it China in some ways has moved immediately into how some people are giving now to help direct both what they want or to help shape how they'd like a community to to give. Whereas, you know, when I first was working in Toronto and then in Vancouver, I think um, people who were not from Canada tended to give to want to um, become recognized in a community by giving to those older institutions. Would you say that's right, Melody or Laura? And now that it's a little bit different, people sort of have more money but also know what they want to do with it and aren't just trying to enter into a community by uh, giving big gifts. Buying their way in. Well, that's a bit harsh, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting question, and, and I, I would go back to the cultural differences uh, for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Melanie makes a very, very good point about politics and and uh, you know the differences in in um, Chinese culture from that standpoint. But let's also take a look at um, Chinese culture from a humanistic standpoint. Um, 
it, it, a very strong component of Chinese culture melody, please jump in, is okay. um, a concept called guangxi, um, which, which really speaks, and melody, maybe you could explain the, the proper trans, translation of guangxi, but it, it, it's to do with the culture being favor-based. Can you can you help me out by explaining the, really what Guangxi means? I feel like we may have lost Melody temporarily. Oh no! Okay, that's okay. She's going to okay. dial back in. She'll call back in. So yeah, she'll call back in, and then we'll just get the question repeated. But it's interesting. Um, uh, if you wouldn't mind just continuing on that line, and then we'll just get Melody to to help help us. I'll bring her back up to speed. But this idea of Guangxi, I'd like to hear more about it. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, G-U-A-N, and then new word, X-E, and X-E in Mandarin is pronounced Xi. Uh, right. uh, we often have trouble with, with X's and Z's, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in English, because we don't, uh, other than Zhu and, and things like that, we don't use a lot of, of those letters. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, I think I would be more comfortable at making sure that Melody is, is also sure. aligned when we talk about this, because it, it is... Melody is back, I think. Yes, that's Melody, are you back? Yes, so, Melody, we took a little pause and, and, and talked about the pronunciation of Guangxi, uh, which I think yeah, I just butchered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, back to you, Laura. So, Melody, um, I don't know uh, where you, where you um, were out for a moment, but I was talking, going back to the issue of culture and <clears throat> agreeing wholeheartedly on the, the political culture and, and the, the vast um, changes in culture in China. I mean, overall, the dynasties and and the Cultural Revolution and the Long March and, and Tiananmen Square and then Deng going south and opening up things for um, for the West again. But there's also the concept of Guangxi, which which is so, such a deep part of uh, Chinese culture in its beauty and its its hospitality, and but also the fact that it, it is a favor based. Culture. So, in the, the your your um, native culture, I, I would I would think it would be good if you could could expand a little bit on on the, the concept of Guangxi and how that affects the Chinese culture and the way of looking at things. Yeah. So the Guangxi is very very important for uh, Chinese people. Uh, basically, it means that the society is not knitted together by very strict things, the regulations, laws. It's it's more about human relations, like my relationship with you or your relationship with others, everyone is uh, a little link uh, in this whole network of of people. And uh, everything is, if you deal with Chinese people, you feel like everything is possible just based on the relationship, <laughs> you know, like it's, right. it's not very right. black and white, uh, a lot of the relationships and, and it's, it's not about like do not project a business relationship immediately. Um, mm-hmm. You know, usually it's all about let's get to know each other first mm-hmm. uh, before you talk about what can I give you or what you know what are our our you know like the what are you looking for <laughs> what you're looking for yeah, it's, it's, yeah. exactly yeah. so so that is very important. Uh, not only for nonprofit fundraising, it's also for businesses, right? Like businesses will talk about this yeah. uh, as well. So yeah, Guanxi very very important, and Laura has lots of 
experience in that I'm amazed that, you know, without speaking Mandarin, you're actually able to, uh, so it is possible <laughs> for someone like, uh, like Laura to, uh, to actually learn about the Chinese culture and do very well, uh, raising money from, from this very closely knit community without even speaking the language. So, you know, it takes uh, time. kudos it takes to you. Time. Well, thank you. My experience has been it takes time. Yeah, it does take time, time, but but I would mm-hmm. I would my 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 advice on this subject is to remember the golden rule. And how would you feel if somebody steamrolled into your world and with their hand out, and had no clue about who you are and what you stand for and 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 what your what your culture stands for, et cetera, et cetera. So I I you know my advice is that you you would certainly you must take your time. You must go a number of times and. Be respectful and learn. And, you know, I'm always reading Chinese books. I'm always watching Chinese but Well, not now because I'm not, not watching as many screens at this moment. But, you know, movies with subtitles to, to understand that the greatest oxymoron in the world is, is the concise history of China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, if, you know, but you've got to get there. If you really want to be successful, it's not about That's your right. success. It's about your love. For the yeah. culture and the country, and and I, I can't begin to tell and you make the, the joy I take. And, and we yeah. feel like the Chinese community must, or your donors, feel that you're genuinely yeah. interested, right? That's that's very yeah. important. And I also actually want to make comment when you said immigration. You know why Canada? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We yeah. need to thanks talk for about asking that. I was curious. Yeah, yeah, the, well, uh, yeah. No, gun controls, clean air, safety. <laughs> Yeah, Canada is actually the most popular immigration destination for Chinese high net worth population. Mm-hmm. That is according to a study by Wealth Acts. Because of the education, uh, quality of living, and and interesting note though is um, maybe Beth and I can comment on this as well is that um, like Canada is the most popular immigration destination for children for K to 12. So like if you are Chinese high net worth family with children K to 12, Canada is the most popular destination. However, so they send their children here. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, but yeah. they, but the they secondary use education, not so much. Yeah. Secondary education, Australia yeah. becomes, uh, went up there, U.S., uh, United States, Europe, a lot of the, you know, the older institutions in Europe, uh, for secondary education, they're more popular. Uh, but for K to 12, uh, Canada is most popular, especially Vancouver. <laughs> so yeah, Vancouver is um, an amazing head city, and so it's a place. It's a safe country. Not that the U.S. isn't, but it's way safer and way more democratic, if I can say that, in mm-hmm. many ways. But and it's you know on that axis of north, south, east, west, right? It's yeah. easy to get to. Um, it. I mean, it's one reason that the um, housing prices are crazy because it's not just Chinese who come here. There are a lot of other people who will buy a home or or a place to live here because of the safety that Canada assures people because of where it is. Um, Exactly. And and there are... There are Chinese people here, too. So, I mean, a very typical immigration pattern is for people to migrate to where there are people either they know or don't know, but are from the same background, because you're more likely to find, you know, the food, the community, the kinds of things that that you enjoy. I mean, that's that's true from, you know, any any country. 
but mm-hmm. yeah, many people say that, that, yeah. that Vancouver's got the best Chinese restaurants outside of China that you can eat that's here right. in Milan yeah. somewhere else. And then well, because, the, because yeah. they, the, the population has a standard that they expect, I'm sure. Um, right. I want to dig yeah. into something, if I could, because it's been we've been nibbling at it for the edge, because one of the questions I had as a, a curious person who doesn't work in your your direct area, Laura, is so uh, we talk about all these um, high net worth Chinese nationals moving to Canada, but that's not only what's happening. We also have their children being schooled here where they still have business properties and interests and perhaps even live a good fraction of the year in China. Isn't that true? It is true. And Vincent, I'm so glad you touched on this because typically, I mean, Melody could give the probably give the exact percentage, but typically it's the mother that comes here with the children. And if a child is sent to a boarding school, of course, that's different. But often a family will buy a home somewhat close to the to the boarding school and, and stay there. Again, we're talking K to 12. Um, but this is a moment in time that is a completely unique, um, a unique time for women who are coming with their children for clean air, for, as Melody so rightly put, K to 12 education, um, Vancouver is a popular destination because it's a direct flight and, and even though you can now get direct flights to Calgary and Toronto and so forth, you add on hours to the, to the already very long flight. So, but my, my point is, um, typically it's the women who are here with the children and their, their job is to get their children into the right schools and prepare them for the university of their choice, which again, Melanie and Bethann are correct, it's that it's, it's the United States and, and, um, and Great Britain. But with that in mind, put yourself in the shoes of, the, of a woman who's here with her, who may talk to her, going into grade eight, they, they've been taking English or not. They, they're, it's extremely competitive to get into the, to the, the independent schools in, in Vancouver. And these women have left behind their, their occupations, their husbands are on the other side of the planet, their, their parents, their, all of their status and they come here and they feel so invisible and, and which is very stressful unto itself, but then their job is to ensure that, that, that the dream of the family is, is made true by, by getting these children in, into these, these good schools and, and, and out of the ESL program, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine the stress of, of these women who, you know, they come, they're in a big house, they have no idea how to deal with cleaning the gutters or, mowing the lawn. I mean, they've, they've never had this experience. They don't know anybody. And so this is where the relationship building has the most enormous opportunity and not from anything other than, again, the golden rule. What would you do if your husband stayed in Vancouver or Calgary or Toronto and you moved to Beijing because the roles were reversed and you knew very little Mandarin, you didn't know anybody, you don't have a doctor, a hairdresser, what do you need? You need girlfriends. You need a network. And that's something that we work very hard to create, to support the women who are coming here and be their go-to person. I, I've, I've helped out a woman at 4 o'clock in the morning whose sprinklers went off in her house and she was just beside herself. She had no idea what to do. And we jumped in the car and went over and turned off the water. You know, and, and it's it's just... just and it's I'm not, glad you told me that because I wouldn't know what to do either. <laughs> But you don't, you don't do it for anything other than pure love and respect. And as the years go on, and, and they say, well, what can I do for you? You know, you can support the institution. 
and so it, it's it's just it, it's so beautiful and it's so different from the, the kind of fundraising that we do locally, the Western fundraising versus this 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 moment in time where, where it's typically the women, as I say, who are here with their children, and they're just they're so interesting and smart and brave and scared, and it's 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 really it's, it's unique. And the next generation won't be like this. This is a moment. Yeah, and I didn't, I, I didn't know that. But, yeah. but one of the questions, and thank you for answering that, because I think you, we, we, we pretty much answered mostly my question. But my, the, one of the things that comes up is, so if all these wealthy Chinese folks are moving here, why are we still traveling to China to deal with them? And the reason is, is because there are people related to the family and businesses and money that's there. Often the husbands. So Again, right. the women are here well, themselves and the husbands are there. Yeah, because when we want to meet someone, we go to where they are and where it's most comfortable for them when we're doing it in the North American context, right? We go to someone's office or or their home. Absolutely. In this case, the office is in Beijing or or Chengdu. Yeah. I hope I didn't put... put. Cultures also need to look like, or you need to make the effort. And, you know, so at Simon Fraser, there are more trips to China because... um, you know, sometimes North America can be a little bit, you know, well, we've got it good here and you should come here and enjoy it. And we do have a good standard of life in many ways. But it's not what everybody wants because, for instance, I'd say in China you have more of a family-based unit that sometimes people don't see here, right? In, in Canada, you know, you see a lot of kids don't always live with their parents. Kids, you know, grandparents don't always live with the immediate family. So that's something, I mean, when we're doing, when we're talking, I also want to listen. Are they thinking about their family? Would they want to give a gift that would honor a parent? And that's often a way to start a conversation. And and also remember that when, when if, the, if the mothers are here with their children and the fathers are overseas running the business, and in some cases it's the reverse, but typically it's it's the mothers who are here. When the fathers come for their, you know, three visits a year, they're they're tired, they're jet lagged. But the mom needs a break, you know. And so, if you think that that they're going to come and, and spend all kinds of time at, at, with you and and discussing philanthropy and their and their gift, they, it's not it's not appropriate. You, it, Beth Ann so rightly said, having the relationships with the mothers and then visiting with their husbands, but honoring the mothers to make sure that they're in the loop, they know the discussion, they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, 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 you, it's a far better use of time for the fathers. And then when the dads mm-hmm. do come, the gift has been made, and then you're having a beautiful stewardship of um, dinner or, or, or walkabout or whatever it is that will suit the family mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. also include the mm-hmm. dean or, or the CEO or, 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 or whomever. Yeah. Right. Uh, one, one of my challenges, though, is, uh, you know, both of you are working for education institutions, mm-hmm. and, uh, and mm-hmm. education is one of the biggest, uh, cost that Chinese give because that in a way that, that they feel that this is immediately connected with them um, and and my challenge is to try to persuade them to give to something else or you know would would Chinese high net worth populations in Canada be able to you know be, be edu- or like we can Try to get them to look at something else like conservation, you know, these other causes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually quite challenging for me, I found, for them to look elsewhere other than their children's education. 
Do you which, have any? Which gives rise to one of my big questions. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and maybe, maybe the, you folks know the answer to this. I'm, I'm hoping you have some ideas anyway. But, um, sometimes in North America, and I, I don't want to speak too generally, but we, we, we have a different view on the value of education than I've seen in the Chinese community. Um, it seems like education is extremely important uh, in yeah. the Chinese culture. Uh, is why is that? Why 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 do Canadians sort of take <laughs> higher education and K twelve education for granted? I'm I'm generalizing. I, I think it's yeah the the culture uh, put a lot of emphasis on the future generation. Like the future generation is is more important than anything else. Uh, like as opposed to in Canada. Were more individualistic, like um, parents right. raise their children, and w whatever their children, how they lead their life, is probably irrelevant with the parents' family. However, in China, this is not possible. Like the children have to live, you know, what the parents want them to live. Like you know, the culture really feels that um, you know everybody is working towards the child. Um, so the especially with the one child policy <laughs> that yeah. yeah that was for which has been which has been more, rescinded more than right? twenty years which been rescinded it, but you still can't have three children for example you mm -hmm. can have two mm -hmm. so, oh I see so it's not unlimited yeah no and it not also depends on ethnic ethnic groups and what what there's different oh my gosh really it's the apartheid <laughs> of children yeah but you know there's something else and that is education. Uh, is, when you look at, at the mandarins and and the the, the most respected members of, of the community were the scholars in in, in the old days and 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 you know i am always reticent to speak too much because melody i I, re, I so totally respect your mm -hmm. that you grew up with this and and it, it's it's who you are it is your culture so but from from a you know a foreigner or a westerner um edu the education i mean why else would would families separate the, the the parents for the mm -hmm. the the, um, the the children to come here to go to to go to school to get into a a better university and of course it's about clean air and safety and so forth but education is just so important and it just goes back to the absolute um, what's bred in the bone I, I I took a visit to I've, I've taken I've been to so many different um, cities and and small cities in China you know my over forty visits and. One of them was to a um, long time ago outside of Guizhen. I went to a Qing Dynasty village, and this was the first time it really hit home for me. And this is probably about 15 years ago. Um, I, we we went in, and we were very lucky to 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 take a visit and and see some of the the local homes. And this is a a, a poor farming village, um, but um, when we went into the homes, what what we so noticed was that there was no very very little decoration or, or anything, but but the the certificates from as young as a child who who would might win a little speaking competition when she's four years old or, or um, that's what's on the walls. It's it's just so valued and important. And um, this village had one claim to fame, and and this was this is Guilin, this is very South China, um, in Canton and and or Guangdong province, which is the more more uh, modern name for it. Um, their claim to fame still, hundreds of years later, was that one person made it, made it through the scholar um, uh, exams and, and, and became a Mandarin. 
and they had a little museum about this gentleman. And I mean, it's it's just so important education. So I wow, think that we just speaks to it. Okay, I, I wanted to get a sense of we've just started to scratch the surface of this this topic. I'm wondering, just as we sort of we, we, we don't have, unfortunately, I'd love to talk for eight hours, but I'm not sure anyone wants to listen to us in one, one block. But we could probably do eight, eight podcasts. We, we want to listen uh, to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. That's it. Everybody, clear the calendars. We're talking. Um, but I'm wondering, what, what are some thoughts on um, uh, topics that we might want to explore related or subtopics related to this topic that we might want to explore in future podcasts? I'm going to turn it first to you, Melody. Do you have some ideas about uh, a couple or one that we should really dig into? Uh, I feel that, uh, again, like, you know, there, the possibilities of philanthropy in China breaks into two groups, uh, the high net worth and the, and the public. We can talk about, uh, you know, what is that looking like in China, which is probably fascinating for some people. And also, like, what we have been talking about is the diaspora uh, community in Canada, you know, maybe look a little bit deeper into who they are and uh, how we can approach them. They obviously have a desire for social change from what, how I, you know, interact with them. I feel that there's, like, a strong desire. Like, people have money, and they're sitting around in Vancouver feeling like doing nothing. They want to do something. But how can right. they connect to the, to the community? How can they connect to us, the rest of the community, so that they can contribute and there's language barriers, there's cultural barriers, like like Laura has talked about. So we could talk about that as well. So you know, there there are a few pockets that we can we can explore deeper into. Those are those are great I topic feel. ideas. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, Melody. Uh, Laura, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on some things that we might want to dig into that are <laughs> perhaps the same or different from? You um, can echo I, the same I, things too. Well, certainly, um, I. I I absolutely agree with everything Nadi has said, and I would add to go back to the cultural differences and how to sort of the the basic do's and don'ts. If you to 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 be interested, but also be interesting, and there are so many cultural differences, and a, and a huge one is so much relationship building and then finally getting to the the the, the ask is done at the dinner table mm. and there are cultural um do's and don'ts that are important and you know one doesn't want to look like the fool who doesn't know how to deport themselves properly and right. so having some some um some lessons if you will on on the do's and don'ts of cultural norms and how to be helpful that it's not just a one-sided thing. Like you're you got you're going there with your hand out for your great institution, but you've got no clue on how to properly be respectful and honor the culture. So I would suggest mm-hmm. that 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 could be a very helpful um, podcast. I think people would people love that. I mm-hmm. th- thank you. I think people would love that. That's such a great reminder. Um, thank 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 you, Laura. It's so um, different. That, it's so different. <laughs> it is completely like, clear clearly. I, I had no I had a, a little idea, but I after today I have a lot more <laughs> ideas about that. So but you um, know, it's then, fun and it's beautiful. Go, go ahead, Laura. I was just saying it's yes. it's fun and it's beautiful, and awesome. you know, just saying saying to trusted people, please correct me if I make a mistake, and just watch. That's great. Anyway, we can get into that in another podcast. We will. 
Um, and in fact, <laughs> we're going to ask you back. Um, Beth Ann, what's your thoughts on uh, anything you wanted to add to that, or did you just want to underscore yeah, going, those are great absolutely. topics? No, they are great. They are great topics. And so for me, what I think about talking about this is um, not just with Chinese, but with so many cultures, especially mm-hmm. if, um, you know, your office tends to be a dominant culture type place, is how do we prepare ourselves as a team not to go after the money, but to create a welcoming atmosphere. And, and not just for Chinese, but I'd say that could be for many different kinds of communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. we have this challenge when I worked at United Way um, of, uh, this is in Seattle, how, you know, there's a lot of wealthy, wonderful Caucasian people, but we just didn't seem like we wanted to have people that were Asian or black because we didn't have, a, you know, um, we had a diverse workforce in some ways, and we had a diverse board in some ways, but our major gift team was not, was absolutely not at all. And we just didn't, you know, as a team, we didn't have enough um, learnings to understand, um, like you're saying, Laura, how do we work with this group? Or even just how do we strip back the things that we make assumptions on and come from another place? And even just understanding the value of education would be the most basic thing where it's really revered, which actually is more than just China. If you get around the world, right? <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how we take that for granted here, right? Um, well, well, thanks, so, Beth, thanks, Beth Ann. You've just you've just turned this into eighty podcasts, <laughs> well, <laughs> which is great. That, that's awesome. Close to hundred. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank, thank you all for that. Before uh, before we let you go, though, I um, I would really like to just turn to each of you um, in turn and and just give you an opportunity to to to, to say a few things about what what's what what you uh, what you care most about right now or what you're working on or what you want people to know. And so I'm going to start with you Laura. Uh what do you want our listeners to uh, to to know about you or what you're you're working on or what you care about? Well, you know, I I guess I in keeping with this subject um um I guess what I would want our listeners to know is that if you were lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with uh, the Chinese community and visit China, you, it is, it is just so interesting and, and you're, you're just so lucky to, to have the opportunity to, to learn more about our planet and, and the differences in cultures and I'm, I'm so hooked. I, I, when I don't, when I haven't been in China for a few months, I, I really miss it and I just can't wait to get back. And I would say that um, yeah, I have been at York House School, which is an 85-year-old day school for girls here in Vancouver, you know, for over 20 years. Um, I'm one of those people who hasn't jumped around much, but I also do some consulting under the auspices of Ross W. Marsh and Associates um, from Calgary. And uh, one of the things that we are we, we do do is um, coach people and provide um, information on those do's and don'ts. Little things like how do you get a visa? It's you know when you're just starting out, it's, it can be very daunting, and and that we take such joy in in helping people um, nudge them along and and their baby steps, and then start running in China and, and enjoy it as much as we do. So that would be what all I would like to say is just open your mind and go for it. That's awesome. Now, can they contact you on that consulting piece through Ross W. Marsh and Associates? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So that's the that's the best way. Thank you for that, Laura, and and that's a great resource. Beth Ann, what are you working on? What do you care about? What do you want people to know? 
Uh, well, I'm enjoying, you know, my work at SFU, obviously. I do do a little, a few things on the side, and one of those uh, is Ms. Rupt, which is a um, sort of a coming together of women to talk about issues in philanthropy. Um, it's, you know, gotten sort of in this moment of me too, but I think that one of the things we discuss is, you know, what are the challenges that we face, not just as women, but in the sector? Um, how are these issues of inequality sometimes coming up? And not just male-female, but people with children, people without children, um, you know. So I'd like to get together and talk about those. I love what I do. I love being a fundraiser. I've done this for more than two decades, but I also want our profession to get better and better. So that's where my passion lies. And working with donors. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Beth, and that's awesome. And thanks for being on our podcast now two times, and we'll certainly invite you back. Um, Melody, what, um, what do you want people I, to? What, what, your, this is your platform. This is your time. You're on stage. <laughs> yes, um, I'm obviously I'm still very, very busy working on the Panda project uh, at this point because you know with pandas arriving in March and exhibit opening in May. And we're possibly hosting the prime minister and ambassadors for for the grand opening ceremony. Um, I'm just very busy working on that, and uh, I, I really would like the opportunity to share my uh, my journey with the pandas because it's quite an example of you know how uh, you know we we engaged people and corporations that wouldn't be engaged before. Uh, and also it's a turning point of, you know, like with the investment in Canada and how these Chinese community can be engaged and, um, and also the failure from that. Um, we just experienced some big setbacks and, uh, and a lot of them are political, uh, related as well. I, I love to share the story at some point. Um, mm. and also continue to follow the Chinese philanthropy, which is, I think is going to also be important part of shaping the philosophy in the future. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, so that, mm. I'm excited to... So, Melody, I, 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 I would encourage you, Melody, to think about uh, whether you can uh, turn that, uh, that the, the, the panda journey. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, would, I think that would be a fascinating topic at any of our major conferences. And, uh, and, and people mm. would really be interested in, in that because it has all of those dimensions that that really is the reason we're in philanthropy. It's we're not in it because it's about the money. We're in it because right. of all the other dimensions of, of of humanity that are involved, and that's a great story. So I would encourage you for that. Um, uh, I would love to do a podcast on that too, but I feel like uh, we're staying with the panel format for now, and I want this to give it do it. It's, you've got a lot of personalities in there. That's a fantastic totally, yeah. idea. So thanks for Thank sharing you. that with yeah. us. Uh, so all of you, thank you so much for taking part in in uh, in this uh, uh, this little podcast that we we started. Uh, I, I, I hope I don't butcher it, but I think in Mandarin, do you do you say she she to say thank you? Yes, yes. <laughs> she she. You will have to get it that right. So I want to say thank you uh, and, and do that. Um, but with that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Betrayal has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us again next month when our topic will be the urban-non-urban -urban divide in fundraising and why fundraising in smaller centers has both its rewards and its challenges. 
We will be welcoming back Scott Dexheimer, as well as three new guests, Michael Donlevy from Red Deer College, Georgina Altman from Lakeland College, and Carmen Hackstead from Grand Prairie Regional College. Until then, on behalf of all of us at Vitreo, we wish you and yours a wonderful start to 2018. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth. <laughs>